Hi, everybody. As you can see, I'm still old, still fat. Well, I got to tell you, I, I never say, oh, I've got to go to first assembly in Erie. I always look forward to it. This started as just, I thought, a favor to a pastor who wanted to get away from you. And it turned out to be, as Jack says, a, a good tradition. I've enjoyed being here. And yes, my house is full. We have all five kids there. Uh, my son last week just won two more Emmys. He now has eight Emmys to his credit. And the kids are all doing well. And uh, Sandy still loves me, so we're very thankful for that. <laughs> Let me just start by catching up on my life. This is my respite from life, the summer. I love Chautauqua. Uh, I have a boat called the Fat Chick Magnet. It's a 24-foot pontoon boat, which sometimes incurs the ire of people. And I always point out to people, that's not anything about people who have a few too many pounds. It's a direct reflection of what I look like. Um, but anyway, this is my respite from life. But come September, back on the road again, as they say. Thank you, Willie Nelson, for that one. And uh, September 5th, I'll be on the 700 Club. I'm a Facebooker. In fact, you'll be interested to know that Pam Reisner is on my Facebook, I'm glad to say. And whenever I see something from Erie, I try to respond to it. People think I have somebody else do my Facebook. I do my own Facebook. I've got 17,000 people on there. And so you can imagine what that's like to try to respond to people. But we really try to do that as best we can. But if you go to birtorderguy.com, that's our new newest website, you'll be able to hook up with us, birtorderguy.com. Com. So come September, we have a brand new book. There's always a brand new book. Uh, this one is called What a Difference a Mom Makes in Her Son's Life. Now, years ago, I wrote that book, What a Difference a Daddy Makes in a Daughter's Life. This is the reverse of that. So we're looking forward to that. And then I've got a book coming out in February, February 1st to be exact. And you're going to hear about that book today. Uh, it's called The Way of the Wise, Secrets to Living the Good Life. You interested in living the good life? And this is a book that I wrote in, 50, in 57 days. And the editor said, Lehman, this book had to be in your heart. I said, it is in my heart. Because it's a book that's going to make you understand the enormity of who God really is. It's going to encourage you if you're a Christian. It's going to get you off that perfection track and get you into living the good life by being good, not being perfect. That's what he calls us to be. And um, certain books just sort of, well, they're more fun to write than others. Like the book, Have a New Husband by Friday. That was so much fun to write. Because women, women are the gurus, you know, of communication. They're like the Energizer bunny. They hug anything that walks. And, and men are supposed to be these, you know, stones. Well, we're not stones. We got friends. <laughs> One. Well, certain books are more fun to write than others, okay? Uh, the Have a New Kid by Friday has just reached 800,000 copies. If you know anything about the book business, that's a lot of books. So God has blessed this guy who you're going to hear about this morning if you've never heard me speak that came from very humble beginnings, and he's, he's used me. Uh, to help people understand what life's all about. What could be a better journey in life than trying to help people through life? Because i got news for you, life isn't always easy, is it? 
So anyway, bear with me because this is what I've done. I brought along the manuscript. That's how new this book is, okay? And I'm just going to plow through some things. We're going to watch time. Uh, Jack says there's a trap door here that 1125 will open. And I'll be looking at the gates of hell if I don't stop by then. So I'm gonna, we're going to honor that time. We might even get done before that. Who knows? But I just want you to know from my heart to yours, it's a pleasure to be with you. Every time I think of this church, I think of these are people who love God. And John's leadership, if you're still here, John, if you're hiding out back or whatever, there he is. Really not hard to miss you. <laughs> He's strumming that, playing that, singing those praises and those people. You know, all those people who are up here, you know how much time they put in in a given week? Coming just to serve the Lord. So many times in churches we overlook those things. And I got to say this, you got great pastors here at this church. They service you well. So be kind to them. Let me just run through these chapter titles just to give you a feeling about what you're going to listen to in just a few moments. And this is based on uh, Proverbs 3, 1 through 6, which I'll read for you in a second. The introduction is where the heart is, where your heart is. Chapter 1, words that pack a wallop. Think about your life for a second. There's some words that someone gave to you in your lifetime that packed a wallop. I'm going to share those with you. Chapter 2, Jesus and God, Jesus and God. That's all they talk about down there is Jesus and God. Out of the mouth of babes. Chapter 3, Jesus ain't the big bad wolf. Chapter 4, attention Walmart shoppers, Jesus has left the building. <laughs> Chapter 5, I'm all yours, all 96%. Chapter 6, the Marines and God need a few good men and women too. My favorite chapter of all, Lord, you're the potter, I'm the clay, but I do have a few suggestions. <laughs> you ever struggle with that? Chapter 8, God doesn't want to be your number one. That'll get some people's attention. Oh, we love to say God's number one. Ooh, really? Well, we'll get into that in a while. How about God as your co-pilot? It's probably out there in the parking lot. Really? Really? Let me understand this. Almighty God is your co-pilot? You think about that. Chapter 10. The road less traveled has fewer people on it. You think? So this book, I'm telling you, like the editor said, Lehman, this must have come right out of your heart because it did. It was a, an easy book to, to write about. And, and I think it's going to be an encouragement to people of faith. But for you heathens that are here, Jack was talking about people who are, Jack says it so much nicer than me. <laughs> people who are searching, you know, where they are and all of God's kingdom. I say you're a heathen. Either way, we're glad you're here. You come back. If you're a visitor, you come back to this church because you're going to find that this is a church that just accepts you as you are, loves you as you are. You got hang-ups, they're your hang-ups. Okay? This church just loves you and walks alongside you. So, again, it's a pleasure to be with you. Here's the scripture we're hanging our head on. This is Proverbs 3, 1 through 6 in the NIV. Do not forget my teaching but keep my, my, my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. 
bind them around your neck. Write them on the table, tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all those ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Now that's an important scripture to me because my mother who prayed for me every day of my life wrote that in my Bible as a kid. I had no appreciation for that scripture. I had appreciation for my mother, I had a great mom, but didn't really understand what that was all about. I believe highly in teachable moments. When I was a kid, I wasn't very teachable. The first teachable moment I had in life that reflects the teachings in this book came in April of my senior year, when an old gray-haired school teacher who was somewhere between estrogen and death pulled me aside and she said to me, she said, Kevin, have you ever thought that you could use some of those skills for something positive in your life? Skills? Did she say skills? I, I never had a teacher tell me that I had skills, ever. But I, you know what, I could control a classroom. I could make wild bird calls. I crawled out of Mr. Giffen's world history class on my hands and knees while he was lecturing and he was oblivious to my movement out the door. I mean, it, it's sort of crazy. But God had teachable moments for me in mind. I finally got in college. My high school counselor told me he couldn't get me to reform school. I eked out a C minus average, proof of the living God. And, and after I got in college, I got thrown out for stealing the conscience fund, which is a long story we don't have time to go into. Came to Tucson, Arizona, where I now live, because my parents had it with the snow and ice of Buffalo, New York. And um, after I got thrown out of school, I got a job as a janitor. I had a, you know those little label makers? I had a label maker, um, a little sign on my door said, Kevin, floor surgeon. I look back, I had a sense of humor when I was 19. And I wore surgical greens because I worked in OBGYN del uh, delivery unit. We had to wear surgical greens. But God had a plan for me. I was busy mopping the floors one day in the men's room when this prettiest thing I ever saw in my life walked in. It was my wife-to-be, Sandy. Some of you heard this story a hundred times. I won't repeat it. But she was the one that God triggered the change in my life. I took her to McDonald's for our first date. The total lunch was 30 cents. A 20 cent cheeseburger and a 10 cent Coke shared by two young lovers. But you know, that same, in that same hospital where we worked, the head nurse pulled her aside and said these very words, Sandy, don't associate with that janitor. He'll never amount to anything. Anybody ever written you off? See, Almighty God doesn't write you off. He takes you as you are. And see, that teaching began in my life, that is the teachable moments in my life with my mom, who brought me upright, prayed for me every day, went to school more often than I did, quite frankly. <laughs> she was always one that would come home and report, I talked with your teachers, Kevin, and they said you could do it if you would only apply yourself. Well, graduating fourth in my class, I did, but it was fourth in the bottom and not fourth in the top. <laughs> but through Sandy, these ordinary women, whose belief and words were used to do extraordinary things in my life, 
So you look at your life, there's people in your life who believed in you. Now jump ahead just a few years to when I was teaching as a professor at the University of Arizona. Whoa, something happened there, didn't it? You went from scrubbing the floors and now you're a professor. You'll have to read the book to find out all about that. But I used to teach a classroom that was about half the size of this, this church. And it was packed full. And, and we would do open forum counseling and I'd bring in real couples and real kids and I would deal with them. I would show the graduate students how to counsel. And I would step away from them and say, hey, let me tell you what's really going on here. This little eight-year-old, he's a con artist. He's working his mother, you know. And, and I would psychologically disclose to the students what was really going on. Well, if you're in a classroom, would you like a classroom like that? I'm here to tell you people love that teaching because it was that practical, on-hands teaching. And see, that's what King Solomon does in Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. He brilliantly figured that out to pack the best punch. The words had to be action-packed. They had to clearly show anyone who read them what to do in a very compact way that any person could understand. So do not forget my teaching, he said. Clear-cut, simple, and life-transforming. I always loved the little footprints in the sand thing. Do you remember that? And uh, the poet asked God, why during the roughest times of my life she can only see one set of footprints in sand? What does that mean? Did God leave her? God's reply, the times when you have only seen one set of footprints is when I carried you. You see, there's no doubt God had his hand in my life long before I knew him. His scripture says, I knew you when you were in your mother's womb. This is the God we sing praises of today, folks. I don't make this stuff up. But I could never forget his teaching because his teachable moments followed me all along the way and carried me in the darkest moments. And they'll carry you too. See, that's God's promise. That's what's so cool about these, these little uh, proverbs. They're so compact. You could be a heathen and read proverbs and be refreshed and encouraged for the day. Chapter 2, Jesus and God, Jesus and God. That's all they talk about is Jesus and God. I love Chuck Swindoll. He's one of my people that I, sort of mentored me in many, many ways, and I've had the pleasure of having him on my show, etc. But he tells a story about going into a, I think it was a fifth grade Sunday school class, and he said to the kids in the class, what's green? And says, ribbit. Well, the kids were silent. He said, really? Come on now. What's green? And says, ribbit. And finally, a little kid spoke up and he said, well, I think it's a frog, but I'll say Jesus. <laughs> if you ask people to point to themselves, maybe I'll ask you that question right now. Point to yourself. Right now, point to yourself. Now, where'd you just point to? You point to your heart. See, that's who you are is what your heart's all about. We don't point here. Some of you should point here. I won't even go there. Jack told me, now, Kevin, we love having you here. But we do have the Pharisees up in the balcony. Oh, now I'm amusing myself. But see, 
If your heart isn't focused on the big picture of what really matters, all the words you say don't mean jack diddly. It was my wife Sandy who said to me after I got a Pharisee letter, and Pastor Jack would tell you, Pastor Don, you probably get some Pharisee letters too. But you know, um, the Pharisee letter is somebody just rips you. They, they rip you for something you said, okay? They're the judgmental ones. I've gotten a few of those over the years because of my somewhat loose personality. And uh, I read one to my wife one day and she said, Leamy, Leamy, Leamy. She said, it's easy to love those people who think you're a real jerk. It's difficult to love, the, it's, it's easy to love those people who think you're wonderful. It's difficult to love those people who think you're a real jerk. Now that's a lesson in life, isn't it? Now, if you're a heathen, or you're one of those people that's just struggling to know who God is, take a look at Psalm 22. Now listen to these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? So far from the words of my groaning. A band of evil men have encircled me, and they pierced my hands and feet, and they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. Now flash forward to the book of John. This happened as the scripture might be fulfilled, which said, they divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. So this is what the soldiers did. Now Psalm 22. Now this is one of these aha moments for some people. Okay? If you're a skeptic, stay with me for just a second longer. Psalm 22 is written by King Solomon a thousand years before Christ was on that cross. Yet it contains the exact thoughts on the cross. Now how can that not be God? Could you predict word for word what someone would be thinking or feeling a thousand years from now? Even more, those thoughts are not only recorded in one of the Gospels, but all four. He is a God of miracles. He is a God that changes lives. I love to take a few shots at the, at the disciples in this book. I had fun taking pop shots at them because they're stupid. They were dumb as mud. You know, and, 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 and after that, that Easter morning when Jesus came out of the tomb and he was alive, how many people had seen Jesus? And how many days did he hang around, you know, so people could see him? There's an account of he talking to 500 people at one point. And, and there's the women. My favorite time was when the disciples are locked behind closed doors, Okay. I mean, they're fearing for their life because they've been earmarked as followers of Jesus who they just saw what? Die on the cross. And there they are behind closed doors and all of a sudden in the room, whoosh, appeared Jesus in the flesh. I'm telling you folks, they were checking their pants. <laughs> it was a shazam. It's him. He's alive. Were they sitting there five seconds earlier and saying, now guys, I'm telling you, he's going to come through that door in just a second. No. That's the human nature of them. But what I love about these dumb people is I associate with those people because I'm dumb as mud. And so are you at times. Because our destiny is to failure. Why did Jesus appear that many times? 
because I think he realized how difficult it is for some of us to believe. Remember the two little boys at the beginning of this chapter, which I'm talking about right now? Jesus and God, Jesus and God, that's all they talk about is Jesus and God. You know how much wisdom is in that statement? There's a lot of wisdom out of, out of the mouths of babes, folks. You can't just believe in Jesus and God. You have to connect the dots from believing with your head to having what? That personal relationship. Those kids, it's church. What's green? You know, it says ribbit. Huh? I think it's a frog, but I'll say Jesus because that's all they talk about here. Now see, those kids in their immaturity haven't had the opportunity to connect those dots. Chapter 3, Jesus ain't the big bad wolf. Well, you know the story of the big bad wolf, how that went. I could probably give you a nice flowery talk about that, but I'll let that go for time period, for time's sake. But here's the thing. How many people see God as the big bad wolf? who's going to huff and puff and blow your door down. I think it's Revelation 3.20 that says, Behold, I stand at the door and I what? I knock. And that door, remember that picture of the door you saw as I did as a kid? My, my mother put that in my room, by the way. She had these little plaques in my room. I hated every one of them. And this one in particular, you know, I didn't get it. There he is knocking on the door. But I remember now as an adult, it had no doorknob on the outside. And that means to, to, to have fellowship with the Prince of Peace. Guess what we have to do? We've got to open that door. We've got to let Christ come in our life and change our life. You know, some folks simply don't learn. I call it developmental carnality. If you ever see that in print, someone stole it from me. Because <laughs> I invented that term. I sort of like it. Developmental carnality. And no matter how old you get, you realize that carnal self isn't too far before, but behind you. You can come and you can sing praises to God, outstretch your hands in love for Him, and in seven minutes after leaving church, you can have a thought that shouldn't enter your mind. Developmental carnality. You know, Jesus, if there's one thing Jesus hated, it was the Pharisees. He called them, you whitewashed sepulchers. Now, I've never said that to someone. I've never called someone a whitewashed sepulcher. But I like it. <laughs> Might put it in another book one of these days. But see, he had wonderful things to say about who? The widow in her might. That person who gave from her heart. And that's what God asked for us. That's why I'm so amazed at my mom, May Lehman, who tenaciously clung to her childhood faith. So many times in the morning when I would come down in our little simple home on Mill Street in Williamsville in the village up near Buffalo, I'd see my mother in the morning and she'd be praying and her Bible would be opened on her lap. That was a woman, you know, who loved her kids. And, you know, if you love your kids and you pray for them, and I know some of you at night, you're looking at the wall at night. You're, you're counting the cracks in the ceiling and wondering, when is this kid of yours going to turn around? Chapter 4. This is one of my favorites. Attention Walmart shoppers. Jesus has left the building. The Butterball people. You know what Butterball is? Turkey. At Thanksgiving time, they have a hotline. I love this little vignette. And they offer help to people who are cooking turkeys. Well, I think there's a lot of young moms today, young wives, who probably aren't great. They probably didn't learn to cook in their home is what I'm saying. And that hotline probably gets used by young and old. But 
This woman called in and said, I've got a turkey that's nine years old. Can I cook it? Well, the person on the other end of the phone was rather flabbergasted. Well, what? Nine years old? Yeah. Has it been frozen all that time? Yeah. Never had an electrical storm or shut down your electricity? No. No, it's been frozen. Nine years. Well, I don't, I'll have to check with the supervisor. So she went away and she checked with the supervisor. And the supervisor said it was okay to eat. But if it was her, she wouldn't. <laughs> you know what the woman said? She said, well, I think I'll give it to the church. <laughs> Whoa. Is that what God wants of us? Does he want the crumbs? If you read his word, whoosh, he takes it right off the top. Hello. But I'm telling you, cheap Christians, there's a ton of them. Ask a waitress, what's the worst day to, to be a waitress? I'm afraid to tell you the truth. Most of them will tell you Sunday. Why? Because that's when all the, show, the Christians show up and leave $2 for a tip. You know, as a guy who travels, I've never left a hotel room, I don't believe, without having that money on that bed for that made that makes up that room, whether you're checking out that day or staying over. You be good to people. As a Christian, you have an obligation to other people, to people who work for a living. I'll tell you, I love the, the book of John. John is my favorite book in the Bible. And John 2, I love the part where the guy tastes the wine and he says, well, you're different from most. This isn't cheap wine you get at 7-Eleven. This is top shelf stuff. And see, God gave us his very best when he gave us his son, Jesus. It's as simple as that. But so many Christians are those Walmart-type Christians. And it just, it just absolutely astounds me that we live life like that. Um, the other thing about uh, being a believer is this whole idea I bring up in chapter 5, which is, I'm a, you're all yours, Lord, all 96%. Okay? So, Lord, I'm yours. I love you. You know that. I just want dominion over my 401k. You want to know where your faith is? Take a look at your checkbook. It'll give you a great indication of who you really are and how much you really love Almighty God. Are those sobering thoughts for a lot of people? Yeah. We tend to be pretty, you know, we, we write it off as being frugal. Well, I call them cheap Christians, but you can write me a letter if you want. I'll send it along to Pam. She'll... She'll answer it for you. <laughs> Chapter 6, the Marines and God need a few good men and women too. Remember our friend Bernie Madoff? He pleaded guilty to 11 federal felonies. He defrauded people through a Ponzi scheme of almost $65 billion. Not million, billion. I, I don't even know how much that could possibly be. That's hard to even fathom, okay? He even defrauded his own family. Proverbs 3, 4 is so profound. It doesn't say you'll have a good name in the sight of man. It says you'll have a good sight in the sight of God and man. There's the kicker. Some of you basketball people might recognize John Wooden's name. A revered UCLA coach, lived to be 99 years of age, won several championships. But here's the interesting thing about him. He never told his team to win. Never told him to go out and win the game. That was never part of who John Wooden was. But he told him to play the game 
the way it needed to be played. Here are a few of his gems that he passed along to people. I thought they might be an encouragement to you. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what other people think you are. Ability may get you to the top, but it takes character to keep you there. Never make excuses. I love that one with kids. You know, kids give me the whiny little excuse thing. I love to just pummel those little suckers <laughs> with the truth. Uh, now, Dr. Lehman Melinda is very sensitive. A powerful little buzzer is what she is. All right, never make excuses. Your friends don't need them, and your foes won't believe them. How about this one? Talent is God-given. Be humble. Fame is uh, man-given. Be grateful. Conceit is self-given. Be careful. I mean, think of those words from this guy who is such a winner in life. How about this one? This one will test all of us. I thought about this, trying to think what I did yesterday. I think I fell short. But listen to this one. You can't live a perfect day until you do something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Isn't that priceless? I got three kids who are going to Africa in two weeks, okay? Uh, and several trips. And she, one daughter of mine is absolutely in love with the African people. I'm probably getting up with a couple of uh, African uh, grandchildren before it's all over with. Uh, that wouldn't surprise me one bit. But uh, they got a heart for people. You know, I should tell you this. Uh, Chris, last Christmas, I gave my assistant, Debbie, a car. I shouldn't say this. It's going to put pressure on you, Pastor. <laughs> but, you know, she had, this, she had this old car. And it was just, I mean, she needed a new car. Well, I, I brought it up to Sandy first. I said, honey, I'd, I'd like to get Debbie a car. Sandy immediately said, oh, honey, that's a great idea. I told my five kids, and they were all home for the holidays. And what, was, what really pleased me the most, we went to Debbie's door the day before Christmas Eve, the, that evening, and we sang at her door, and all the five kids wanted to come along. Now, my, my kids are principals of schools, and they're busy people, and they're married and have kids, and they all wanted to make sure they were there. They all wanted to sing at the door. So we sang, we wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a happy new car. <laughs> well, Debbie cried like a baby. She couldn't believe it. She said, no one's ever done anything like that to, for me. You know, that's a joy to give somebody something. And um, that ought to be the joy of the Christian life, is doing for others. I always love to remind people when you leave church and you go out and you hit your first red light or stop sign, why'd you stop? What's the law? Oh, you must know the Old Testament well. You might get a ticket. Well, that's a good one. Might get an accident. Good. How about the best answer of all? You stop so you don't hurt somebody else. But see, that's foreign to us. It's not, it's not the first thing we, we pull up, is it? My favorite chapter, You're the Potter, I'm the Clay, but I do have a few suggestions. You know, I've already referred to the term developmental carnality. It's the battle of wills within yourself that St. Paul himself referred to in a letter to the Italians. I don't understand. I'm just trying to be cultural. 
I grew up in Buffalo. The Great World War II. I won't even go there. I better start that over again. This is what Paul says. He says, I don't understand myself. I tell myself I won't do these things, but I do these things. Talk about a perfect statement of the human condition that all of us struggle with. If we know what the right thing to do is, then why don't we do it? I listened to a famous person yesterday on the radio, and someone asked him uh, about success. And he said, well, I'll never be, I'll never consider myself a success until I'm Christ-like. I'll tell you the truth, I about hurled when I heard that. Christ-like? You are going to be Christ-like? Really? Really? I mean, you're saying that with a straight face? You're going to be Christ-like? You're never going to be Christ-like. The only time you're going to look sinless is that day you appear before God. And that old song says, white as snow. You're going to look white as snow because of the blood that Jesus shed on that cross for you that day. That's the only time you're going to look that pure, folks. How we say, trust God, all oh, there's pay cash. You know, we put people on pedestals. Only thing people can do is what? Fall off pedestals right before your very eyes. So anyway, in today's complicated word, world, you have a choice. I go back to the teaching of my mom. I can still remember her singing that old song, trust and obey, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus is to trust and obey. It's about trusting. Every walk, every step of your life to God. Are you going to make that perfect step? No. Are you going to misstep? Yes. You're going to be off track lots of times. I'm skipping some chapters just for time, but you'll be glad to know we've almost come to the end. The road less traveled has fewer people on it. Wow. That's an eye-opening statement, I think. Here's one that'll get you going. Is God all-knowing? Yes. This is a quiz. Play along with me if you'd like. Is God all-powerful? Yes. Always present? Yes. Now, I'm about to... Don't be too quick on this next one. Okay? In control of every malady of humankind? Now that's when you can debate for a long time. We love to talk about how God is in control. Is God in control of an accident out here in Erie, PA, where somebody is absolutely drunk, gets behind the wheel of a car, and wipes out a family of four at an intersection? God in control of that? I'm here to tell you he's not. I'm here to tell you that's a result of sin in this world. And we live in a fallen world. And are terrible things going to happen to people who love Jesus Christ? Yes. Many times as a result of what? Flat out sin. God doesn't care about your outward success. He cares about your commitment to your faith and the paths he has called you to walk on. Now note that Proverbs 3, 6 also doesn't say path singular. It says paths, plural. 
That means God will call you to multiple tasks, not only one path. If you've strayed, there's great news for celebration. He'll welcome you home. One of my favorite scriptures in all of God's word is the prodigal son. You all know that story. Most of you do. But this kid who's a little headstrong says, I'm out of here. This place is Dollsville. Give me my due. And the kid goes to a faraway land. He didn't go someplace close where people would recognize him. He went far away. Okay? He'd had it. But he learned his lesson, and he finally came home. And I always remind people, what did, what did his father say? Well, look who finally showed up. Finally had enough of the world out there, huh, boy? No, that's not what the Scripture said. It says he ran toward him. And that's the gift of salvation, folks, that God wants to come running to you. But you've got to make that decision inside to what? To run toward him. So what you do in life matters. What you say to your kids matters. I want to go back to what my mom said to me so many different times. She had this little wall hanging that said, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I was embarrassed by that thing as a kid. When Moonhead Deach and Jamie Huber came over to play, in, and we'd play in our bedrooms in those days, you know, and that thing was up there, I think, gee, why is that up there? You know, I just quoted it for you, and I'm near death. It stayed with me all these years. So you parents who struggle, wondering if you're ever getting through to your kids or your grandkids, take heart. Your words make a difference. That's one of the messages in the book about that's coming out in the fall about what a difference a mom makes, what mom says. One of the best things you can say to kids is, I'm unhappy. Mom's unhappy. I got news for you. The ankle biters or the weirdos in the hormone group, they don't like it when mom or dad's upset. Don't be afraid to tell them exactly that. Um, Proverbs 3, 1 through 6 promises that if you don't forget God's teachings, you keep his commands in your heart, you trust him with all your heart, and you acknowledge him in all that you do, you'll receive, and this is the punchline of that little, of that little verse, a long fulfilled life, prosperity, love, and faithfulness, a good name, understanding, and straight paths. Now, that's a powerful prescription for the good life. And it comes in just these six little verses. And if you measure your life by what King Solomon said throughout that whole compact little series, you'll be able to see that if you stay within those boundaries, you're going to live a life that's going to be blessed and full. Throughout the uh, book, I have fun with a reader, and I just have... Put together some God, I have a question. I'll just read you a few, see if you like them. This is God, I have a question. Will we need GPS in heaven? What stock should I buy today? Are there rainy days in heaven? Will we ever be bored in heaven? And it would be possible to tell me the exact number of stars. And Lord, what is the purpose of the cockroach? And do you really mean it when you said we should forgive seven times 70? 70 times 70. I'm up to three. God, I have a question. Who is really your favorite disciple? And if you could just dump one of them, which one would it be? <laughs> and are you still mad at Peter? 
And Lord, just where did you get that recipe for that aroma of the orange blossom and the hyacinth? Or the genetic design of the armadillo? Will I need makeup in heaven? Is heaven like instant Botox? Well, hopefully they'll put a smile on people's faces and hearts as they think about, you know, the Christian life. Pastor and I were talking about this this morning. Those of us in authority, I'm not a pastor, as you probably know, certainly not a preacher. But people look up to us like we have life's answers in our back pocket. We don't. Don't have all life's answers. But we know that if we put God first in our life and we truly do what his scripture tells us to do, we're going to be okay. We're going to be good. We're going to good, live the good life. I hope those little compact six little verses will impact your life as you think about those. You might want to read them again. Proverbs 3, 1 through 6. Let me just close this in prayer. Father, thanks for this day. Thank you for this wonderful church. This is picnic day. And Lord, we're excited about eating a hot dog among friends who love you. Thanks for this encouraging church who reaches out. They want to be part of Erie, not just the little corner tucked off in 90, but they want to be part of the whole city. And Lord, I know you, you love that thought, and I do too. So Lord, these are your people. And I just pray that you'll bless each one of them. And bless Pastor Jack and Pam and Don, all the other pastors here, and music, John, all the musicians who give themselves weekly to serve you as they do. Lord, thank you for my family. Thank you for the gift you've given me. And we just pray, Lord, that you will continue to bless each of us as we move forward one day at a time. In Jesus' name I pray this, Lord. Amen.